turn to Luke's Gospel and are actually reading a shortened version of what you find in your bulletins. We'll begin with just a couple of verses, actually. Luke has been talking and telling us the story of John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and people were coming to be baptized by him. And he's re- he was preaching uh, about judgment and the coming of judgment. And this is what happens. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Such a brief reading, Lord, we ask that through it you reveal to us perhaps a newly refined calling. A refined understanding. Not only of who you are, but who you challenge us to be as well. Speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this whole year as a church, we are focusing on the big church calendar, which is organized around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's just as easy to say that we are spending the year focusing on Jesus. The year begins, and it began this year, on the first Sunday in December as we walked through the four weeks of Advent, reading the stories uh, wrapped, uh, the stories around Jesus' birth, and then Christmas, of course, and we had one Sunday during Christmas. Sometimes there are two, which led us to last Sunday, which was Epiphany Sunday, as the wise men finally showed up after their long journey, and we celebrated the light of Christ going out into the world, which now brings us to today, Baptism of the Lord Sunday, the day Jesus is baptized and officially begins his public ministry. Now, if you think about it, that is a big leap to take in just one week, going from Jesus as a baby all the way to Jesus being a grown-up person and, and going and starting his ministry. That's a lot that we've missed. The reason for that, of course, is that there's not a whole lot of biblical record of Jesus during his growing years. If you look at all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you kind of put them together in one lump sum, we what you end up with is a, is a few stories around Jesus' birth, two stories of Jesus during his childhood, and that's really it. That's all. There's, they just don't talk about it. Of all of them, Luke tells us 
the most. Luke is the one, I guess, that you could say really, really loves kids. Matthew comes in a close second. Mark, I guess, just doesn't like kids at all because he doesn't talk about any of that. John, as with most things, we're kind of unsure as to what he, he thinks. But Luke tells us the most. He spends the most time. He starts off with this long story about John the Baptist's birth and Elizabeth finding out she's pregnant with John the Baptist and his father, Zechariah, the priest, is struck mute until John is born and the whole thing. And then at the same time that Elizabeth discovers her pregnancy, Mary discovers that she's pregnant with Jesus and they're related. So they, they, they come and see each other. And when they visit, it tells us that suddenly Jesus leaps in Mary's womb. And so they sing and celebrate. And there's a whole thing around all of that. Long before Luke begins to tell us the story that we remember, the story of the angels and the shepherds in the field and the story of Christmas that we love. He then goes on to talk about Jesus being dedicated as a child in the temple and then the parents lose him and they find him in church. Luke tells us the most. He spends the most time and energy convincing us of Jesus' holiness and humanity long before he even arrives. So much so that when you get to baptism, one would think that he would spend an equal amount of time about something as important as that. I mean, you would think that if he spent all this time just on his childhood, his birth, that he would spend at least that much time on his baptism. But he doesn't. Not even close. We just get what I read. It's just two short verses. Really, if you think about it, you can whittle it down to just one verse. A one verse story of baptism. That's all we get. All the other gospels give us all kinds of stuff around this baptism. Matthew, Matthew gives us a conversation between John and Jesus where John the Baptist questions Jesus is coming forward and John says, I, I should be baptized by you and yet you are here requesting to be baptized by me. I don't get it. That doesn't make any sense. Mark doesn't include that particular conversation, but he does include additional specifics around the baptism itself. John's gospel, when he has John the Baptist speaking of the one who will follow me is greater than I. If you remember that line, and I'm not worthy to tie the to tie his shoes. Has John said mentioned that to us? And and then the very next line, Jesus shows up, and John jumps up and shouts, "There he is! Here is the Lamb of God!" But Luke, Luke doesn't have any of it. None of it. He does give us the story about John the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance in the wilderness and people were coming to be baptized by John and, and they came with great expectation and 
But when Jesus shows up, all we get is that one line. As the people, when the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. That's all. No grand recognition, no here he comes. No, in Luke, Jesus has to get in line like everyone else. Here's a number, sir. Take a seat. We'd be with you in a minute. That's Luke. That's what we get. And when you kind of figure that out, it, it kind of catches you off guard because, after all, I mean, we don't expect Jesus to have to stand in line of all things. I mean, of all things for him to have, I mean, we all know what it means, what it feels like to stand in line. No one likes it. I've never met anybody yet who looks forward to waiting in some long line for an unknown amount of time, you know. It may, have you ever been at like Disneyland or, or a place like that and you watch a family come up to what they think is the end of the line and they, they get at the back of that, you know, and they're just, and the poor attendant has to come and tell them the news. And you don't hear them, you can't hear what they're saying, but, but you can, you, you know what they're saying. They're, they're looking at them and saying, well, I'm sorry, but the line stops here and then it starts again right over there and you see all of them look. <laughs> Do you ever see them get excited at that point as if to say, you know, oh, yeah, what a long line. Get the tent, honey. You know, oh, they look at that line. They see it weaving back and around and around the corner and over the mountainside. And they, what do they do? They say, oh, oh, that's what. They may make fun of themselves for making the mistake in the first place, but they just drop nearly to their knees. That's what no one likes to stand in line. This past week, my family went to the post office to renew some of our passports. We, you know, keep them up and current. And we had to renew a couple of them. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to do that, and you have to do it at the post office right now. I don't know if you've ever had to go to the post office to do it, but what you have to do, you have to call ahead and, and set a time to come, which gives one the false impression that there will be someone standing at the door, you know. Welcome, Odom family. Follow me down this red carpet to the special passport wing where our talented staff will take care of your every need, you know. You need anything to drink. Can we massage your feet while we process your... You know, it doesn't work like that at all. You show up and you, you just walk into the post office and you kind of don't know where to go and no one says anything and you see over off to the side this section with the word passports above it and so you walk over there and you stand with all the other people who've signed up for that time or 30 minutes before and are still waiting. No one knows exactly how it's supposed to work. You ask and they say, I don't know, we're just supposed to stand right here. And so you just stand there. And there we were. As I prayed for my wife, who's redheaded. <laughs> don't 
lose it, honey. And we stood there waiting. And I looked up at all the regular people standing in the normal line doing normal things like buying stamps and mailing packages. And I noticed every now and then they would kind of, one or two of them would look up at us, at the passport people. And like they were sizing us up. And I just imagined in my head they were sitting there asking themselves, why do they need a passport? That one I don't think looks valid. What reason do they have to leave the country? You know, or you could just feel the polite scrutiny. <laughs> and, I, and I wondered, I began to wonder my, to myself, is there any element of that, any level of that, that existed in the line that Jesus had to stand in way back when? Did any of that exist at all? People gathering here for what was to be a big thing, baptism for the repentance of sin. So, you know, they weren't here because they were being congratulated on a life well lived. Were they looking at each other, you know, wondering, does that person deserve to be in this Line? Were they scrutinizing one another? Was there any element of that at all? And it dawned on me that that is exactly what Luke is lifting up with this one line story of Jesus being baptized. Here he tells us of a Jesus who gets in line like the rest of us pointing us to a God who not only becomes one of us, but is also to, willing to live the life as we live it, as we experience it, right down to the very last mundane, ordinary experience with all the disappointments, all the frustrations, all the unknowns. But this is a God who is willing to stand in line right alongside the best of us as well as the worst of us, the clean as well as the dirty, the saint as well as the sinner. When you realize that, you also begin to realize is beginning to beg the same question of us. If we are in fact who we claim to be, if we in fact claim to follow this Jesus, and he is willing to stand in line with everyone there, no matter who they are, where they come from, then are we willing to do the same, to do that for each other? Are we willing, as one commentary puts it, to identify ourselves with those who are not like us, standing in line, 
And are we willing to keep standing with them? Do we ever consider that as part of our everyday calling, part of our baptism? Do we ever think about it at all? In her book, The Fall to Violence, Marjorie Sachoki, I think that's how you say her last name, shares about her experience of serving as a jurist on a case in which the defendant was found guilty basically of running a drug, drug operation. And she believed in the decision, it was the right decision, he did in fact do these things and so the decision was the right one, she believed that, but later she reflected more on all of the details of the case and this is what she writes. The whole thing seemed so far away But it later dawned on me that the neighborhood in which this occurred was only a couple, of way, a couple of miles from my own neighborhood. It made me wonder where that world started and where it stopped. My world was geographically close, but had I ever done anything at all to touch the lives in that other world? was the only role I was destined to play, was to be that of judge? Or as a Christian, am I called to do more than that? Luke has the answer to that one. In this one line story, baptism. He presents us with a Jesus who is willing to do far more than simply judge us. In Jesus Christ, here we have a God who is willing to stand in line with the best and the worst of us, the saint and the sinner. The real question is, are we willing to do the same? Are we?